Take your Bibles, if you would, go to Psalms 19, and uh, uh, tonight I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, the Lord calling us uh, back to Washington, D.C., and, and how, how all of that happened, and, and it is true, uh, uh, New Guinea to D.C., from uh, the jungle, one jungle to the other, the concrete jungle, uh, it's just amazing, but you'd be surprised, in New Guinea, uh, people wore flip-flops, and now people are paid to flip-flop, so that's, that's kind of what happens, and uh, <laughs> all kinds of good, th- good things going on there. Uh, I think it was just last Sunday we had uh, four families join our church, and it's uh, just tremendous. Uh, we had a, uh, our annual business meeting at a little hotel uh, just like you're gonna, just like Pastor just talked about here, and we kind of everything I learned here, uh, we're implementing there, and what works in Boise works there in, in D.C., and it's an amazing thing. And uh, we had our business meeting this just this past Sunday night, and gave all these great reports. Everything is up, business is good, and uh, we've got a good average of people coming, a little over a hundred each week. And um, uh, Mayor Bowser, that's the mayor of of D.C., um, uh, implemented some pretty strong uh, mandates with the, with the vaccine and the, the passport and the, and the mask thing, and you can't go into restaurants without this, that, and the other thing. And, and we meet in a, uh, a civic center. It's an art museum, very beautiful. It was opened by Abraham Lincoln in 1860. It's magnificent, and we meet there, but uh, D.C. runs it, and so all these rules were implemented, and uh, about this, you know, like any church, we've got half the people that are absolutely staunch against this, and the other half are, are actually for this, and, and so we try to keep all of that uh, out of, uh, out of uh, the pulpit, and we try to just major on the Word of God, and we had uh, four attorneys come and get together and wrote a little letter in my name, and I presented it uh, to the mayor and to the city and, and to our specific uh, uh, the, the management of our, our of our civic center and and uh, within a, within an hour all the mandates were dropped and everything is oh come on in here you are indeed exempt from all of our rules so uh, God just works in in great ways and uh, it's just it's tremendous to see what God is doing it's it's an amazing thing one of our members was uh, just preaching of course DC is two hours earlier uh, out here than Mountain Time and uh, one of our members was preaching and. I did a tremendous job, a, a, a military general, actually, active general, and, and uh, the weather's a little bit cool, a little bit cold, about 50 degrees there uh, this, this morning in, in D.C., and people were complaining just a little bit, believe it or not, they complained there too, and he said, this week I was in some undisclosed place, but the temperature was 100 degrees colder than what it is here. So nobody complain, okay? Nobody complain about anything. So. Psalms 19 is where I'd like to have you start with me. Um, of course, Psalms 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible. Uh, Psalms 19 speaks of the Word of God. Of course, we, we love the Bible, but the the greatest name really for the Bible is, is the Word of God. You know, there's a lot of people that wonder about the Word of God. Is it preserved? Is it perfect? Is it reliable? Can I trust it? And really, that's a doubt and an accusation against God. And people have a lot of problems 
with God. And Psalms 19 presents three specific cases or three specific arguments of, of how you can know God and how you can trust God's Word. And all three of them are very, very simple. The first seven verses talks about the Word of God from heaven. The, the next three or four verses talk about the Word of God that you can hold in your hand. And then the last part of Psalms 19 speaks of the Word of God that you can hear in your heart. And it's just a, it's a beautiful a poem. It's, it's 3,000 years old, and it speaks of God's Word from creation, and God's Word in the canon of Scripture, God's Word in the conscience of our own heart. So with that in mind, I'd like to pray and ask God to bless us as we get started. Father, we ask that you'd bless us as we read your word, as we hear your voice. I pray that you would speak to our heart and to our soul. And Father, that we would know you and your truth and your righteousness and, and your holiness. Lord, I pray that there would be no confusion, but uh, you would be exalted and you would be lifted up. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we talk about God, surely the agnostic voice of doubt and the atheist voice of accusation would come to mind, and probably most every one of us have wondered about the Bible being the Word of God, uh, wondered about God Himself. Is there God? Is there a God? If there is a God, how can I know for sure? And I want to just say it's not a leap of faith. It's not a leap of faith, but reasonable deduction that there is a God. It's logical. It's reasonable. Look at Psalms 19 in verse number 1. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Let's read that out loud. Verse number 1 together. Here we go. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Now that's talking about uh, uh, space. It's talking about the, the sun and the moon and the stars. And it's talking about the voice of God reverberating throughout all creation. God wants to reveal himself, and he does reveal himself. And so if you want to take notes, point number one here today, this is the sky's declaration. The very word of God in heaven. And this is the sky's declaration to convince. And God wants every one of us to be fully convinced in the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the glory of God. All three of those things uh, really are on display for us in these first six verses. Verse number two says, Day unto day uttereth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. In other words, creation every day, every night is speaking, speaking to convince humanity that there is a God and He is good and He is glorious. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven. Speaking of the sun, 
and his circuit to the end of it, ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Now this is speaking of the glory of God, and, and the glory of God is declared from creation, and it's speaking to us, and, and you can see that there is a God, or there is a creator from creation. It's logical. It's not a leap of faith. And don't let any fool try to cow you into some uh, religious corner uh, saying this is, you have no evidence for the uh, for the for God for a creator absolutely night unto night day unto day it's uttering speech there is no place where their voice is not heard the heavens declare the glory of God and it's to convince us of God's greatness all of these things are speaking of of light it's what we see it's light how fast does light travel anybody know that's exactly right <laughs> 186,000 miles per second. And it's, it's an amazing thing. That fast, if we were to, to somehow hijack a, a, a light beam, it would take one, two to be past the moon. But as it continues, that same light beam would continue. It would take four and a half years to get to our closest star. But as it continued, that same light beam would take, and I don't know exactly how we figured this, 10 billion years to get to the edge of our known universe. God is great, and the heavens declare the glory of God. You are not being foolish to believe in the glory and the greatness of God. Romans chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20. Let me just read this to you. Maybe just jot that reference down there right next to Psalm 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest unto them. For God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know, when we went to New Guinea, we went uh, to the end of the road, and as a matter of fact, uh, uh, we, we parked our, our, our vehicle in one little village and got out, of the vehicle and hiked over uh, three little mountains and and came to our village that was created on uh, that they, it was up on top of a, a little knoll there and and when we got there we were surprised to find that everybody already believed in God everybody believed in the devil even heaven and hell and and man's eternal soul really the message that was needful to present is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The message was the message of redemption. And it was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that all of humanity is without excuse because the heavens declare the glory of God. It's gone everywhere, every day, every night is making this declaration. You know the group of scientific professionals that has the highest percentage of believers. It's astronomers, those that study the sky. It's 90%. 
They've seen, they've studied the glory of God. They've been in awe. Sometime this spring or this summer, get out on, the, on, the, on a summer's night and, and maybe get away from the, uh, the pollution of, of light and just look up. And don't just see, you know, physical things, although those, those are physical things, but see the glory of God. And don't just listen to the sounds of the summer, but listen to Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night, and God is declaring it. Why? So that we can be fully, absolutely convinced this is the wonder of God. Scientists say that there's been approximately 54 great philosophers uh, throughout the ages, only about 54 or so. The number varies just a little bit, but approximately 54. Surprisingly, 40 of the 54 believed in God. They were believers. Only That, of course, only leaves about 14 who did not. They, they claimed atheism or were agnostic. That is, they did not. They believed in God but wouldn't know who he was or what form he would take. It's interesting of those 14, all of them, every single one without exception, had a disdain for their father. Of the 14, eight were pastor's sons. Interesting. Charles Darwin is considered one of those great philosophers. Of course, he brought the great revelation that you can have a creation without a creator, <laughs> that everything comes from nothing. Interesting. Charles Darwin's father was a giant man, weighed 345 pounds. He was a medical doctor. As a matter of fact, um, very elite, wealthy, and was invited uh, to be part of the, uh, the royal medical team, but declined because he felt that it would actually limit some of the great works that he was doing. Matter of fact, Charles Darwin, that was not his theory. His grandfather had lectured about the theory of evolution for years and years. And of course, Charles Darwin's dad wanted him to succeed and continue on in the great nobility and but Charles struggled a little bit in school. As a matter of fact, he wrote in his journals that he flunked out of a class and his dad came and bullied the teacher into a, a passing grade. Interesting. Uh, he went into medical school to follow his father, but in working on a cadaver, fainted and, and was removed. And so... <clears throat> did the next best thing, he joined seminary. If you can't do anything else, try to be a preacher, right? <laughs> and he went into seminary, and as he was studying and learning, uh, he was mentored and, um, and helped along by a professor, really f became a father figure for him and uh, fostered interest in science and travel, and that's where he, 
He, he boarded the ship. Actually, that was a secret venture to board the ship that would eventually take him to the Galapagos Islands and, and, uh, and see all those different things and write. Do you remember his, the name of his book, The uh, Descent of Man and the Origin of the Species and all that? But here's what he wrote. This is very interesting, and I quote, My father would violently roar and dominate and bully all those who would oppose him. And he verbalized his great disdain and hatred for his father. Grandfathers and, and fathers here, and let me say, um, we need to be very, very careful, uh, not just about what we do, but what we are fostering, what we are growing in the hearts, not our own heart necessarily, but the hearts of those that follow us. Charles Darwin's father created a monster. Another man, maybe if you've studied philosophy a little bit, uh, was Frederick Nietzsche. Interesting, uh, very uh, dark, uh, depressed person, wrote about how all of humanity are much, much like ants on a burning log. No hope. His father was a dogmatic preacher that would not preach the grace of God but the great, great wrath and anger of God. And Frederick grew up hating his dad, which led to rejection and hatred of God. Both of these men had a profound influence on another monster who lived out and played out with political power what these men taught. His name was Adolf Hitler. He wrote My Struggle or Mein Kampf and talked about how he wanted to make the Aryan race a, a super race. You know, there is a lot of false information about, about religion and, and wars. And surely you've heard them, I've heard them, that religion has fostered all the wars in the world. Well, actually, if you study it, uh, religion is responsible for the death of about three million people throughout, throughout history. About three million. That includes all religions. All, all the different religions. About three million. And that's a tragedy. But um, just two men, Hitler and Stalin, are directly responsible for 57 million. You see, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Night unto night uttereth speech, day unto day. And the, and the word of God's creation, the wonder of, of our great God goes everywhere. But those that reject God and the light, it becomes lightning. And the love of God rejected becomes a hatred in people's heart. And it can be seen shadowy in the relation to the Father, the Word of God, the Word of God echoing from heaven. Now, let me show you the second one, and this is the Word of God that, that's in your hand, that is the canon of Scripture. So our first point, the sky's declaration, our second point, the Scripture's education, and this is verses 7 through 11. Of course, I love to just use the Word of God itself as the outline for today, and that's what we're trying to do. Now, we're going to try a little bit, uh, a little experiment here with you. 
I'm going to read the first little portion till we come to a, a comma or a period or a semicolon or something. And then I want you as the congregation uh, to read the next phrase to the, to the next point of punctuation. All right, so we're in Psalms 19, verse number 7. Everybody there? You're a little bit quiet. Now, our church there in, at, in D.C. Is, is a little bit more lively. Now, I, I want to I encourage you to be a little bit more lively here. Uh, most of our people are kind of young. It's kind of almost like a college campus here. One of these days, we're going to have a lot of weddings. I'm excited about this wedding here coming up. That's, that's amazing. But uh, a little bit more activity here. Verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The statutes of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous Altogether. Let's read verse 10 all together. Here we go. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Verse number 11, moreover by them, and it's that list of those six elements, and we're going to look at those specifically, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them is great reward. So, first we see the wonder of the Word of God in creation. Now we see the wealth of the Word of God, uh, specifically in the canon of Scripture, the Word of God that you can hold in your hand. It's amazing. This book, the, the emotional depths and heights of it have never been discovered. You can have the greatest theologian and, and the, the greatest mind to look into this and discover it. And they've never found the depths of this great book. Yet a young child who can just barely read a little bit can look into this and is safe to wade into this great portion of truth. I remember my mother teaching me to read as we sat um, on the steps at our, at our little house in Littleton, Colorado. And I sat uh, here, and she sat there, and, and, uh, and she pointed to the words, and I would sound them out. And I was actually not sounding them out. I was just guessing. And uh, <clears throat> I was like, Mary had a little lamb. She said, no, that's not quite right. <laughs> but my mom taught me how to read from the very Word of God. It can transform. It can change. You know, no education is complete without knowledge of the Word of God. And if all you have is what God has revealed and preserved for us, you have a wealth of an education, a wealth of knowledge. Emperors have decreed its extermination. Politicians have quoted it and used it and misused it and deceived the masses. Agnostics have smirked at it. Atheists, they despise it. Modernists and liberals, they dilute it. Materialists, they ignore it. Radicals have twisted and changed it. Corrupt preachers have dismantled it. Cults have polluted it. But my friends, the Word of God still stands. 
It hasn't moved. It hasn't been polluted. Uh, it's, it's been a, an attempt of a murder, an attempt of an assassination, but it, is, it has failed every single time. In spite of the denials, in spite of the distortions, in spite of the distractions, thank God for this book, the Bible, the very Word of God that you can study from and learn from and take home and ask God to let it be a, a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Pure and perfect. The wonder and the wealth here. Now look at these specific things in verse number 7. Everybody still with us? You're following this, this, this thought here. Verse number 7, and there's six elements here. The first one, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. That means you can't add to it. You can't take away from it. That is, it's complete. It speaks of its verbal inspiration. It's God-breathed. It's God-preserved. It's for you and me. But notice exactly what it does. The law of the Lord is perfect. And what's the next phrase? Converting the soul. Converting the soul. This is, the soul, of course, is the seat of our will. The soul is the place of decision-making. And man, in our fallen state, we're arrogant and we're proud. And you try to witness to somebody, hey, you want to come to church? Hey, have you heard about Jesus Christ? He can save your soul. And what does that person say? He says, oh, I don't need to be saved. I don't need to go to church. I'm doing just fine. I can find God out here in the mountains and over here by the streams. And Well, it's true. That's the first part of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory. You're right about that, but there's more to know. You see, the heavens don't convert the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. So if the soul is the seat of our our will and our decision-making, and man is arrogantly proud and resists help and is self-sufficient, the law of the Lord comes and converts the soul. You see, when you witness, what you need to do is use two things. That is the law of the Lord and the love of the Lord. The first one condemns and shows guilt. The law of the Lord is the goodness of God. In Exodus 33, we'll talk about that tonight. Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I will let all my goodness pass before you. And then God gives him the Ten Commandments. But we'll develop that thought a little bit later tonight. When the law comes to somebody, you've told a lie, you've stolen, you've looked with lust, you had hatred in your heart, You've put other gods before me, God says. You've not been content. God's blessed. Oh, but your heart has been filled with covetousness. What it does is it condemns us and shows us that we're guilty. The law doesn't take somebody to heaven. It shows them that they've come short of the glory of God. The law of the Lord converts the soul. How does that do it? It breaks somebody. There's a, there's a great phrase and saying, Pastor DeMichael taught me this, is you can't, you can't get somebody saved until you show them the first that they're lost. 
You can't, you can't lead someone to heaven until they first realize that they're on their way to hell. That's what the law does. Now, these six things are, are a spiral, a, a spiral uh, going ever upward. But the first step is the conversion of the soul. And if you don't get the law of the Lord that converts the, the soul, you can't go on to the next step. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, was tempted of the devil. And the devil is, is talking to him about providing for himself and taking these stones and turning them into bread. And do you remember what Jesus' reply was in verse number 4 of Matthew 4? And he answered and said, it is written. By the way, that's your answer. When the devil tempts you, when the devil tempts you that God is not capable or God doesn't care. And by the way, that's what the devil says. He said God is not, God is not strong enough, he's not capable enough, and he sure doesn't love you. You need to hit him with the word of God. And the devil attacks you, got to hit him with the word. It is written. Our logic and our arguments, they'll never, they'll never work. You see, the problem with man and his unbelief, or rather his disbelief, is not a head problem, it's a heart problem. The Bible says, the fool has said in his, come on, help me out. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now let me finish that next, that next verse there. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominably, abominable iniquity. That is, their own sin, the sin in their own heart is keeping them from believing in God. It's, it's not a head problem. It's a heart problem. Uh, the atheist can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. They don't want to find a policeman. They don't want somebody to, that they'll have to give account for and stand before God. You know, the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter number one, and verse number one has ten words in it. In those ten words, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It presents three elements. All three of these elements have to come together at the same moment. Otherwise, there can be no creation. That is time, space, and matter. In the beginning, that's time. God created the heaven, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. You see, if matter was created before space was created, where would you put it? If matter was created before time was created, when would you put it? And so this trinity must come together, time, space, and matter, and God gives the answer right there in the first book, first verse in the first book, the first ten words of the Bible. And, and there's a trinity of trinities there. Time has past, present, and future. Space has length, width, and depth. And matter has solid, liquid, and gas. And God, it all, God brought it all together right there. And he speaks to us the sky's declaration, the scripture's education. See, the law humbles the proud and makes you open to receive the grace of God. Without the law converting the soul, it's much like a pharma, pharmacist trying to give you a prescription before you know that you're sick. 
See, the first doctor, Dr. Law, has to say, you are sick, and here are these very clear signs. Then go see the pharmacist, and he'll prescribe the cure, the medicine. And that's exactly the way the law of God and the Lord Jesus Christ works, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we need them both. Now, sometimes we don't realize the importance of that word perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. And there are there is a, a school of thought. We're not of this school of thought at all. But the, that God didn't necessarily preserve his words, but mostly his ideas and the general idea of these truths. Well, Psalms 19, verse number 7, is, is completely against that. It, it's talking about the perfection, the inerrancy of the very words of God. And words influence thought the way numbers influence equations just like those of you that would be businessmen here and and uh, numbers were just sort of uh, scrawled on a piece of paper and then there's a little bit of an equation there and there's the sum total and how did you get this sum well these numbers here well where'd you get these numbers well I just wrote them in it's just a general idea no no I want some specifics and words influence thoughts just like numbers influence equations. Look at the second one, verse number seven. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Now, each one of these words is different, these six words, and they come through the book of Psalms, especially Psalms 119 in, in all kinds of great ways. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And from that little phrase, I, we get our second point, uh, the scripture's education. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That is, it is foundational for education. Nobody's education really can proceed further than their submission to the God of creation. And we often talk about people being creative. Uh, parents, how many of you would say, uh, I, yeah, I've got a, a few uh, creative kids. Let me see your hand. I've got a few creative kids. We use that. I use that. I've got a few creative kids. But honestly, we are the creation. We're not really creative. We are copiers. We, we copy what we see. We didn't create this. Matter of fact, anything that we create would be, wouldn't be beautiful. It would be ugly. This is a creation of, uh, of, of God. It's a copy of God's creation. And every order and every beautiful thing we see is really a copy of that. Now, preachers are... Quick joke. I'm going to tell a quick joke. Here. Preachers are... are <laughs> preachers are uh, known, notorious for making up words. I'm used to that. And, but one word uh, <clears throat> I was making up this last week... Is, I think it's a great word. It will be used in the future a lot. <clears throat> it's the word plagiarism. No. <clears throat> but that's exactly what our creative works are. They're plagiarisms. They're copies of what God has already created. I shouldn't tell jokes. I'm not good at jokes. <clears throat> Look at the third one here. So we see the first one. The law is perfect. The second one, the testimony is sure. Look at the third one. The statutes of the Lord are right, 
rejoicing the heart. They're right. That is, you won't be dis- disappointed later to find out that it's wrong. Uh, Pastor, you and I were talking this week earlier about uh, how science changes and that there's actually miles of old science books in libraries that are totally, laughably obsolete. Matter of fact, I, I got a text from somebody at our church yesterday and said, he said, the science is about to change. This week, the science will change. The political science will change, that is. <clears throat> yeah. So we'll see. It might not happen. I, I think it will, though. He's in the know. You won't be disappointed. You've, you've been disappointed. I've been disappointed. You followed something. Somebody told you something. Man, it's right, and you bet on it. You count on it, and you go forward, and it collapses. It fails. But listen, the testimony of the Lord, it's right. You build your life on the Word of God. You won't be disappointed. March on. Follow the Lord. It's right. It's true. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know, God's blessing. God's blessing is right, it's sure, and he adds no sorrow with it. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's pure. That is, pure means no ulterior motives, no hidden agendas. Now, we sense those. Our feelers are out all the time. When we're, even, when we're talking with our, our friends and our brothers and even our kids and our spouse, we, we don't want to be looking for ulterior motives, but all of a sudden somebody's being really nice and you're like, <clears throat> what do you want from me? <laughs> Does this happen in Boise too or is it just D.C.? I don't know. Uh, but the word of God, it's pure. There's no hidden agenda. Listen, God loves you. He created you. He designed you. And he wants... He, He wants to be with us so much that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Wow. The statutes are right and they rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Some enlightenment is impure. Some enlightenment is wrong and wicked. But the enlightenment of the Lord is pure it's righteous. It's wonderful. Get close to the Word of God. Lean in. I was just talking to my dad uh, this weekend, and he was saying that the Word of God, he just loves it even more and more and more. And it, it, it's deeper and richer and sweeter. There's no ulterior motives. Look at the fifth one. The fear of the Lord is clean. Now, recently I was in a bit of a verbal scuffle in D.C. about the fear of the Lord. I had, I, I had talked about the fear of the Lord being good and right, and, and somebody challenged me after church, and they were much more articulate than me, and, and they were beating me up a little bit verbally, and I was just kind of trying to uh, find some footing there, and I, I really never did find it. I, I, I'd like to say, and then I thought of this, and I said that, and boom, they did It didn't happen that way. But I'll tell you what, even though I couldn't win that argument, 
I knew I was right. And you know what? They knew I was right too. And we're both looking at each other and I was very impressed with their ability to take words and just do all this uh, uh, jujitsu with them. But listen, God's word is right. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. You know what that's speaking of? It's clean. Meaning much like the seed that a farmer would buy. Now a farmer would pray pay premium price for seed that is clean. That is, it's free of weeds. That is, it doesn't have other things in it. And here David is proclaiming 3,000 years ago, and it's true today, the fear of the Lord, it's clean. It's like clean seed put into your heart, and it endures forever. It's not just going to go through one cycle and that's it, and you have to replant Although you should often plant your heart with the word of the Lord, but it's going to grow and it will continue. It has no seeds of corruption. Quick cross-reference here, 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25, those three verses. And Peter here speaks of being born again. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible. That's the word by the word of God, which liveth and abideth, how long? Forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. That is, the Word of God doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. God's Word is strong. It's clean. It's pure. The fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom, and it's clean, and it will take you far. It's never out of date. It's more current than tomorrow's newspaper. Look at the sixth one. The first one was the what? The law is perfect. The second one is the testimony is sure. The third one is the statutes are right. The, the fourth is the commandment is pure. Say it with me. The fifth one is the fear of the Lord is clean. And now the sixth one, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The power that judges have in our nation is a is amazing. It's unbelievable. You have these men, they put on these black robes, and men and women, they put on these black robes, and it's, it's tried to uh, be representative that I am not going to be persuaded this way or that way. I'm, I'm free from um, uh, ulterior motives. And they stand up, they, they, they hear this argument, they hear that argument. Maybe they'll have a jury and and 12 people will there uh, help uh, by judging what is right and wrong. And quite often they get it right. And quite often they get it wrong. But God never gets it wrong. 
never gets it wrong. And you can count on the word of God. He always, always, always gets it right. You are no fool to submit yourself to the word of God. To recalibrate your life every morning with the word of God. And Lord, help me to think your thoughts. Help me to see your way. Help me to feel things. And and the different problems and the different blessings and the different temptations of, of this life and of this day. Lord, might I see it through the lens of eternal scripture. And might I live for you. Listen the judgments of the Lord are true and they're righteous altogether. Wow. So, so good. Now, look at verse number 10. So these six things there. First, Our first point was the sky's what? Declaration. Our second point was the Scripture's education. In just a minute, we'll get to our third point here. But all of this comes together, all of this comes together in verse number 10. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. That is, gold that's refined and it's, it's pure. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. They say honey is one and a half times sweeter than, um, than, than processed Sugar, I, I guess that's right. But what he's trying to say, it's, it's you desire it, you want it, and you develop a taste for it. Do you have a taste for the Word of God? Do you long for it? Addict yourself like somebody would be addicted to the gain of gold. Or addict yourself like somebody would be addicted, they'd have a sweet tooth and, and they want sweets. We should long for and want the Word of God. Why? Verse number 11. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So, we've seen the wonder. We see now the worth of the Word of God. Let's look at now the Word of God in my heart. It went from the heavens to my hands, but hands are not enough. It's got to get in my heart. We're in Psalms 19. We're walking right through this 3,000-year-old poem that is set to music, and it's beautiful. Verse number 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Now, you know this. You see this in other people. You see other people, they're making just blunders, and you're like, don't you see what you're doing? And the answer is they don't see what they're doing. And a friend needs to come by and say, right there, that's wrong. See, when you did that, when you said that, when you went over here, you reacted to that. I see that. I can see that, that equation happening, but it's wrong. You've got to stop that. That's the wrong way. Don't go back to that. Of course, Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is, help me out, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it that is our heart isn't just deceiving others it deceives ourself self-deception is very very common and you see people like that all the time they walk in and they think they're really something and everybody else knows they're not (laughs) you're not that guy self-deception i i guarantee you most everybody in this room is living out some sort of self-deception in their life. And so what's the solution? 
It's the word of God coming from heaven to our hand into our very heart. The word, the word of God. I want to back up, get another running start there at verse number 11. Moreover by them is thy servant warned, that's me, and in keeping of them is great reward. You can't just read about it. You can't just uh, see it. You can't just wonder and, and see the wealth of it. It's got to get down into your heart. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. And here's David, which is representative of all of his people, which is representative of all of us who fear God and love God and want to do what's right and revere the very word of God, but are painfully aware of our own shortcomings and our own failures and we're not measuring up. We're not even living out what we believe. And if we could take a little survey and say, do you believe this and this and do you believe this and this? And, and probably all of us would, we'd believe all the fundamentals and, and the core things, the elements of Scripture. We'd pro now we'd go a little bit further to the next booth and now, what are you living out? What did you do this last week? Oh, don't ask me that. Oh, ah, mm. Because we're not living out. See, it's not just a head problem. It's a heart problem. Now, I haven't been preaching that long, but I, get, I counted it up. It's 30 years. 30 years. And in counseling people that begin to doubt God, His existence or his greatness, or his goodness. I've yet to meet somebody that is actually reading the Word of God, or even more basically, living out what they believe. When you don't live out what you believe, doubts haunt your soul. So what's the solution? 1 John 1, 9, you know that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, God is faithful and He loves us and He wants to, he wants to save us. He wants to use you. Listen, God wants to use you and me to make a difference in this world. In your community, with your friends, with your family, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God wants to use you. But you have to seek God in His grandeur, in His glory, and in His goodness. And when you believe in God, when you believe in God and live out that truth, the whole world will watch. People will wonder. The difference that will be made in a community is not the Word of God in heaven. It's not even the Word of God in your hand. It's the Word of God in your heart. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee, O God. You know, Titus 2 and verse 11 says something very strange. It says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly. What is it that has appeared? Well, I think it's the Word of God in heaven. The heavens declare the glory of I think many times, in many places, it's the Word of God in, in the hand. It's the Scripture. It's, it's the gospel track, and that's good. And, man, get it out. But it's got to be lived lived out in the heart. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The last verse of the psalm, verse 14. Let the, let's say it together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I'll tell you a story and we'll be done. We went to New Guinea. We were brand new missionaries. Dad was 50 years old, my age right now. And we went to New Guinea. We arrived on a little mountain, little little hill mountain called Palapini. We arrived there. It was beautiful and wonderful. We began preaching. We began doing things. And Dad sent me over across the river. He said, you know, there's nothing really going on across that river. Brad, I want you to to go across that river. And I want you to preach. And I want you to take uh, a a man named Wakaru with you as your translator. Man, I was excited. Uh, Dad gave me a little uh, kerosene lantern. Gave me a... uh, a blue tarp, plastic tarp, to sit in or sit on or maybe make a covering over or something. A little songbook and, uh, and, a, and a Bible. And, and then for about a week, I listened to Pastor DeMichael's sermons, wrote down all the outlines, and I was ready to preach those. <laughs> So Walkeroo and I left out early Sunday morning, and we went, and we preached at our, our farthest place, across the river and, and up, up on another mountain. We preached at our first spot, and the rest of that day we talked to people all day long. I was 20 years old, and all day long preaching and talking to people. Five different times I preached that sermon. That was a good sermon. I'll need to preach that again. And on the way home, I was tired. Walkeroo was tired. We were were spent. We were climbing up this hill, and we were kind of singing together, and we stopped and lit the lamp, the little lamp, kerosene lamp, and we were walking up, and the the fragrance of the air, the jungle air was was amazing. It was about, I don't know, maybe 65, 68 degrees. It was a cool, heavy, humid night, and... Uh, little frogs and little things were scurping and, and making all kinds of noise. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It was enchanting. I was, I was brand new. I'd never heard any of this. It was just, we didn't have that in Meridian. And I asked Wakarua, tell me about how you were saved and how you and I, how did this happen? Just give me your testimony. And then the, the magnificent moonlight and, 
and the beauty of this forest and the, the little kerosene lamp that we were carrying walking back to our village. Wakuru said, um, I was disowned as a child. I actually not even sure who my father is, was. I was abused as a kid. I was, uh, I was rejected and I, I ran away. And I was, I was so hated, I began to hate back. My heart was just filled with hatred. I was broke. I was starving. And nobody would take care of me. I began to struggle with drugs. And rather than eat, I would rather get high just to escape my mind and my, the haunting thoughts that nobody liked me. Or I was very depressed. I struggled with suicide. I hated my people. I hated my parents. I didn't even, wasn't even sure who they were or why they would do this to me. But eventually, all of that swung to God, and I hated God. And I ran. I ran from village to village. I went to the town of Mount Hagen, which is the place Deborah and I served. And he said, I eventually went to this, the next big town, which was Goroka, and I began working, picking coffee on the coffee plantation. It was filled with hatred and anger, and I would fight, and I would lose, and I'd win, and I was miserable, and I hated it, and I would, I would get paid, and I would drink it. I would drink all my, all my money, and I would escape reality. And I hated God, and I hated everyone. And I was contemplating suicide, and I, I went, and I sat next to the, next to the river, the little stream, and I was sitting there, and I was, I, I, I hated everything and everyone, and, and all of a sudden, I, I felt the, the cool water and the little mist coming up, and, and there were butterflies, and I heard the birds, and all of a sudden, in the middle of my, the storm of my mind with my hatred, I felt the love of God. I felt the love of God, not in church, but out next to the river. And it was that same day where I felt God's love, that word came to me that a new missionary had just arrived in my village and that they needed a translator. And so I wrestled with, should I go? But it was such a wonderful feeling there. And, and so I just... I made my way back to the village, and I got back to Palapini, and I, I met you, the three boys, and your dad and your mom. And Sunday morning came, and your dad, Dennis, got up there to preach in the little jungle church. Pastor, you've been to that, the clay floor and the grass roof, and everybody squeezed in there and packed in there. And we're walking back to our village. We've been preaching all day. And he continued on with his story in the beautiful night. And he said, your dad stood up and preached. And I would translate. And he would preach. And I would translate. And at the end of the message, your dad said, does anybody want to repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ? And this is the part I remembered. And Walker said, I, I got down off the pulpit, it was, uh, the platform. It was just a little tiny one. And he said, I do. <laughs> And, and I remember he, he kneeled down right there, and somebody came and, and began to 
work with him, and, he, and Wakaru began crying and weeping. And he repented of his sins, and he put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I've only been saved now a little while, and now I'm preaching with you. And I remember right now as I'm, I'm just going, this is amazing. The moon was the beautiful white, bluish light of the moon, and then the, the yellow, uh, golden light of the kerosene lantern, and the strange, wonderful sounds, and the, the fragrance of the perfumed night, and we were coming. And as I was studying this, I went, well, that's the Word of God in heaven, day unto day, night unto night. And that's the Word of God in the hand. And he was preaching. He was the translator. But it wasn't effective until it got in his heart. And that's Psalm 19. It's got to go from heaven to your hand to your heart. And so let me ask you, where's the word of God for you? Are you a Christian? Has the law of the Lord, the perfect law of the Lord, converted you? That's that first step where you realize you're a sinner. I don't think it speaks of salvation. It speaks of conversion from being proud and arrogant to humble. Just like a proud man walks into the doctor and the doctor says, you're sick, and he walks out and he says, I'll take that prescription. I need help. That's what each one of us need to do. Would you stand to your feet with me? As we come to the Lord, Psalms 19. Have you been reading the Word of God? Have you been listening to the declaration from heavens? Have you been allowing the Spirit of God to correct you? It spoke of the sky's declaration, the Scripture's education, and the Spirit's illumination. The Spirit of God guides us and leads us. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you knowing that many times we have been wrong. We have ignored the declaration from heaven. We have laid aside your pure and perfect word, the Bible. And we have ignored your Holy Spirit talking to us every day. And so, Lord, I pray that your law would humble us and convert us and give us a, an ability to, to come to you, Lord, that we could receive you, that we could trust in you. And, Lord, that you would change us. We ask this in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, I want to invite you to come and, and pray and tune your ear to the very Word of God. Maybe you've been saved a long time. Or maybe you've been saved just a short while. Or maybe today you've never been saved. Salvation is yours. Through Jesus Christ, repent of your sin. Put your trust in Him. Our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. Just a moment, we'll sing a song of invitation. <clears throat> God spoke to you this morning, and you need to come. The altar's open. We have workers here in the front that can help you out. If you've got any questions about being saved, they can be answered. You can have a word of prayer and get this matter settled. 
Maybe you're saved here this morning and God spoke to you regarding your walk with him or something about the word of God and your relationship with it. Won't you come, be responsive to his word as we speak. Brother, what number? How are number 28? Sing with me if you would.
Brother Ken Doty, would you come on up and close us in a word of prayer? Thank you for that message, Brother Brad. That's a lot to think about. Amen? That's a lot to think about. And I'm sure that'll go with us as we leave this place this morning. Brother? Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we not only thank you for what we hear, but Father, we thank you for what you've done in not our, our lives, but many lives around us. So be with us today, Father. Help us to digest that word of God in our heart. And Father, live that life, Father, and glorify our Savior, which is in heaven, Lord. But Father, be with us today and bless all that we said and done. Go with us, Father, that we may be able to proclaim that gospel and the only hope of the world, Father. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.